Hello and welcome to the Stratford East podcast. We are back with a brand new episode. But first, we want to say a massive thank you to everyone that has supported us over the last few months. We know that this has been a horrible time for everyone and your generosity really has meant the world and it's allowed us to continue making work. Since we closed our doors in March, our community and programmes with young people have continued online with lots of different workshops and masterclasses. We also called out to local key workers to tell us their stories about their lives during the beginning of the pandemic. We turned these stories into a one-off drama called No Masks, which showed on Sky Arts last month when the channel became free to everyone. Some of these stories are also available to watch on our virtual wall on our website. We also created a new audio drama series in response to the murder of George Floyd called 846. Playwright Roy Williams brought together 14 black and Asian writers to create these short plays. A selection of these were then performed live at the Greenwich and Docklands International Festival. Whilst we're sadly unable to do our much-loved panto this year, we are excited to open our building in December for a new virtual reality theatre experience called Petricor. Tickets are on sale now and are going fast, so head to our website and get yours. Over the coming weeks, we'll be talking to freelancers in the arts industry to highlight the huge range of roles that exist, from performers and stage managers to photographers and drama therapists. As well as these podcasts, there are other interviews that you can read over on our blog. For the first in our series, our artistic director Nadia Fall spoke to director and producer Ben Quashi. Enjoy! Welcome to the Stratford East podcast um, in celebration of Black History Month. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, I've been on the Stratford podcast before. Happy no, to be here. <laughs> me neither. I'm channeling my Oprah. Um, we're <laughs> going to have a conversation, get to know you, get to know uh, your background, your dreams, your ambitions, your allergies, everything. First of all, I know you do lots of different things. You're a producer, you're a director, mm. you have your own theatre company, New Theatre, mm-hmm. and you've worked in participation, uh, producing for the Royal Court, and as assistant producer of um, ETT, English Touring Theatre. So mm-hmm. lots and lots of brilliant stuff. But before we talk about now, can we roll back the years? Maybe not that many years. <laughs> very young but um going back to growing up and um yeah tell us a little bit about yourself because i know you're from southeast london like me yeah oh where are you from i'm from lewisham croydon Yay. now i'm croydon, croydon. yeah come on yeah i'm yeah, exactly. south norwood oh, um, God, we're, we're down the road we could have met in actual <laughs> person um if the plague wasn't around we'd mm. be across the table from each other leaving coronavirus yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, where did it start i don't know um i think oh so i went to harris academy south norwood um that's right that was my secondary school and i did a few kind of i did musicals there not not major parts i played an angel in grease lightning (laughs) and i played the bartender in bugsy (laughs) mellow Um, and I had fun with those and honestly, I, so then I applied for Brit school, um, 
because I was I was interested in the arts, but I'm not gonna. To be honest, I was I was followed. There was a girl that I liked that I was attracted to, and I was like, Brit School, you're going there, are you? That sounds interesting. I'll come along. <laughs> <laughs> that's some serious game actually following <laughs> someone to another school but it never I, I admire that dedication <laughs> do carry on <laughs> uh, so yeah I followed her to Brit school somehow they let me in on my very very unprepared audition looking back at it now um, that would have been back in 2012 so yeah I did a very unprepared audition but Brit school let me in which was great and I maintain today that going to Brit was the best decision of my life like in so I spent four years at Brit I did years 10 and 11 and then their post 16 and the amount that I developed as a human there um was like unprecedented I think before going to Brit I was very shy I wasn't social at all like quite introverted and at Brit I just kind of came up my shell and not necessarily I'm not a huge extrovert now but I'm just confident in me and confident in the choices that I make and what do, you, what do you think what was it about the people the environment the teaching style what was it that made you have that sort of self-confidence and come into your own I think Brit give you a space to allow you to be yourself more so than you would find at, I think any other school especially for that level and there's also just the focus like if you depending on what strand you apply for especially when you get to post when you get to post 16 you're doing that four out of the five days you're there and having been in that environment working on different projects constantly collaborating with other people it forces you to kind of be confident in your own decisions in a quite healthy way also it gives you a very accepting school like the lgbtq plus community there is great and the support that the staff give the students as well um, has improved since I attended as well so I graduated in 2016 and like the school has just keep kept improving on yeah, and on from strength to strength really yeah um yes the, uh, the just a little secret that I wanted to go to the Brit school and I remember <laughs> looking around with my mum and dad and my dad saying there's no way you're gonna get in and there's no way you're gonna go there so I didn't even try <laughs> and it was always my dream. I just imagined it a bit like fame. Like you'd yeah. go there and there'd be like people in leg warmers doing the splits, people like rapping on this side and doing, <laughs> I don't know, Shakespeare. I don't know. I just had this vision. So I'm, I'm, I'm very jealous um, about your experience. <laughs> but how did that lead to new theatre or did it? And, and what is it? What is new theatre? So new th the last time of Brit School is um, called their springboard season. And the purpose of that is you get in a group with other students, you make a company and you make a show um, and you perform it at the end of that term. Um, so we, I got together with five other students um, with no pre-planning whatsoever. There were a lot of people that already had their groups predetermined and such. And we just kind of put ours together in the moment. Um, and initially called it the Weisenberg because when our teacher came around and asked for a name um, we knew we were going to devise a piece so that's the devise part of the name and we just finished <laughs> a conversation about Breaking Bad so oh. we mixed Heisenberg and devising together awful name uh, not brandable at all because no one knows how to spell it or say it <laughs> it sounds like a really dangerous sort of liquid or chemical <laughs> that's going to lead to a nuclear apocalypse of some kind 
I think it's got something to do with a German bank. I'm not quite sure. I remember Googling that at one point. Okay, um, I'm glad you changed it to new <laughs> theatre. Yeah. But like from then to now, what is new theatre about? What's your sort of mission or vision or, you mm. know? So it's changed a bit through the first two years. And that's, I think, something that's quite important for anyone listening that's thinking about starting a company. Like, it took us three years before we rebranded to new theatre. In those three years, we spent a lot of time trying out a lot of different things, seeing what worked for us. Initially, we were an arts collective that focused on art, music and theatre. Um, whereas new theatre, as, as it is today, um, we focus on career development for theatre makers um, aged... 18 to 25 um, when we get funding hopefully 16 to 25 because we can't afford dbs's for everyone at this point in time um but yeah i think that came from the impetus of not seeing enough people in that bracket that might class themselves as emerging artists um like doing work and being uh supported in my consideration to the extent that theatres have the capability of. Like, I think I ended up asking my the chair of the board, like, you can't think there's not many directors out there that are directing main, shows, main stage shows that are 25 or under. You can think of the odd variety, you've got your Jasmine Lee Joneses, but uh, when you think to performers as well, there's a handful and there's a lot of roles where you'd have someone that might be 32 and because they look young they're quote unquote more experienced so therefore play those younger roles rather than getting someone who is 18 and is immensely talented um to come in and do that just because they are quote unquote less unex more unexperienced um which is not so, true either. so when you're talking about young people or under 25 16 to 25 are you talking in all aspects of theatre making, the producing, the directing, what's on stage, the actual yep. acting? Um, and what is it about, so that's, that's the vision. What mm. is it about youth or being a young person or an emerging person that you think is valid or important about your company? What, so what, why, why are you looking at young people in particular? Mm. I think new plugs a gap in at the moment in the industry regarding experience obviously we would like to do a lot more work than we can it's just a money thing really um but i think young people are exciting the stuff they do is always exciting when you see it in a professional environment it's always labeled as exciting you're never not going to go see something it'd be interesting and when it gets the proper focus and uh attention that it should be warranted like what they can what we can achieve is phenomenal um i think the closest i've come to that was luckily something i was involved in personally so i was involved in the i made the young company we made the show cacophony um by molly taylor uh -huh. and that was uh, that was a young company show but it was on the i made a main stage it was given a full production budget like it was a full production mm. um and that show was uh, yeah it was great like we transferred to the yard in 2019 which was an amazing experience to be part of and having that level of respect just in terms of production was something that felt really different at that time and it's something that I want to try and provide and do it better as well if I can um so like the work I mean when it's given that love and investment mm. people can really rise to the occasion you know with yeah. the right support people do have something to say and can say it really beautifully um and that's 
probably testament to to the Almeida there, like properly investing in something. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you about a little bit about, you know, you you wear many hats. You know, you're a director. You've obviously had some love of performing as well, and <laughs> and a producer. Like, you know, when I was starting out. Uh, I also started by um, forming a company and running a company as a as a vehicle to express myself. So, you know, like as a young director, you're often, I always saw myself as a director, hmm. but you're a director-producer. I mean, it's, it's often the case in this country. Um, if you're a freelance director, you are a producer in many ways. Hmm. And what is it about, what, I mean, what would you say? Do you have a passion for one thing more than another or... Are you just like blatantly into all of those aspects equally? I'd say, so my ultimate goal is I want to be an artistic director of a building and be able to make that space for these young people that I speak about and try and act, like fully action the things that I'm talk, I've just spoken about. Um, and I think every step I've taken so far is a step to me of being able to achieve that goal. Personally, I prefer directing more than producing. I just know I'm a good producer. Um, so I, I work with the skills that I have. I think, so the Harris school I went to was for business and enterprise. And clearly I've picked up some of those skills because I run a company now. Um, but yeah, no, I really like directing. What it was is when I was doing the last part of that, I made a young company, as much as I loved it as an experience, I knew performing wasn't really for me um I think I'd done a few auditions and was thinking about drama school again and I just I think the lifestyle of being an actor is really really difficult and I just don't didn't think it sat right with me so but I knew I loved theater that was the thing um so I knew I, it took me about three months to figure out what it was about theater that I actually really enjoyed and it's the re the rehearsal room is the thing that I, I love uh, to be in it's where anything is possible the ideas are flying around you're having a good time and you're all working towards that same goal so as a director and as a producer I can facilitate that environment either for myself or for other people and try and make it the safest environment it can be but also the best environment for people to express themselves and make the best work they can do um, you know that that kind of blows my mind that you say that because I not not that you know it's it's beautiful what you're saying but I, it just like it's it's incredible that you have that foresight um about being an artistic director and a good artistic director I think or I'm learning myself seems to be about that that marriage between an artistic passion and vision and producing and you know it's like those two things together and mm. as an artist myself like you know working up through participation was my background working in pupil referral units and prisons and in schools and all of that I, that's how I came to directing but it was all about the play the work the film you know I I, I really saw things on a microscopic level mm -hmm. never in my life did I think I want to run a building mm. never in my life did I think I want to you know so so for you to say that i just think that is incredible and brilliant that you have that sort of vision and ambition it's the same with me in new theater like being able to see or take a project from a when you first commission it or it's first submitted to you to b when it's finally on stage after months years 
of all that time you've seen how it's developed and you've seen the people growing that time as well and help and what you've done to help that process is just something that's just so rewarding to be a part of I think that's the truly I mean that's the thing what I love about directing and theater making that even though when money's tight and you might not have a grant or might not you know I'm lucky I run I now run a building so I've got like a place where I can make some work and program work but I remember what it was like starting out I absolutely yeah. remember having a, like little to no budget and hustling continuously and trying to get a venue and then not even having a venue sometimes and doing it in a found space and actually using that and all of that but mm. that was part of the thrill and that was part of the, how the imagination cooks that's the thing with theatre if you really want it enough I think you can visualize the work and make it happen you you've got mm. some aut autonomy even if you haven't got money you've mm. got some some freedom yeah and it's hard when you haven't got the money or the infrastructure but certainly when you're a young person or starting out i think that you don't need the burden of you know all of that you can you can yeah. just try and you know beg borrow and steal and do it in i don't know uh a found space or something it gets harder yeah. but mm. i i think that's what's exciting so so what is your what's your ambition for new for new theater <laughs> it could go in a lot of directions um right now my ambition is to get this season done we've been covid corona 19 corona 19 covid 19 as uh stalled we're working on three plays at the moment that were supposed to be or we're supposed to be in the second play right now <laughs> RIP um, so we delayed those to October but I think long term it would be amazing for new theatre to be able to have its own space um, and to be able to provide that space for um, our audience and our, for our, the artists that we work with I have this amazing I don't know how unrealistic but vision of um, having a building with the new theatre sign outside being able to have it as a performance space and a rehearsal space where when people hire the space part of that space part of that fee then goes towards being able to provide the space for free for artists that don't have the money like you were talking about people in that scenario where you're having to beg borrow and steal to really try and make the work happen and just being able to support those people so it's artists helping artists and vice versa because then those people grow up and hopefully they build a connection with the space like that is something that I would love to be able to offer because rehearsal space is one of those things that when you're making work, especially in those early stages, is your biggest expense alongside paying people. Totally, um, such a premium. I remember starting out and like rehearsing in offices after they were closed and yeah. hustling all of that. So I hear you. Rehearsals at friends' houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> in the park. Not <laughs> Um, tell me about what, what what kind of story do you, do you have um, a soft spot for an affinity to? Um, what kind of work? What does it look like? What is it about? Um, I suppose the best example of existing work that I can give of like what is my taste would be um, I Want to Be Yours that was by The Bush and Payne's Plough. Um, I think it was, was it at the start of this year? think I saw it is the best play I've seen in quite a while um it's by Zia Zia Ahmed and directed by Anna Himali Howard yeah. and it's just it was a fun play 
I think there's not many fun plays out there. It was really warming to see. And it, it like it had its sad moments, but I think it was just really relatable. Anna directed it beautifully. Um, there was some amazing BSO interpretations. It was integrated into the performance. It wasn't just someone standing by the side or one character that had it. It was part of the show, which is something I'd not seen before. And it was just worked so cohesively, but it was fun. It was bouncing around the space. It was moving around. There was this kind of some kind of devised element, which is something I I'm a, I class myself as a devising director, specialist type person. Um, like I just enjoy shows with energy. I'm not a huge fan of classical theatre or shows that feel like they need to be longer than three hours <laughs> or, or anything like that. Um, yes, I'm guilty of both those things. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Hashtag to do it at some Headley, um, <laughs> three hours, love. Um, but yeah, okay. So you, I, I get that. I mean, it's just really hard to find uplifting mm. plays and plays that make you laugh and plays that fill you with hope, you know? Mm. I guess it's much easier to direct and, and write plays that are full of pain and bleeding. And <laughs> it's exactly what I'm having an issue with as a um, artistic director at the moment. You know, like people need hope and cheering up and, and mm. things with redemption is really hard <laughs> to find. <laughs> so when you do stumble across a play, I hear you that it's like, that makes you laugh or mm. it's just a good thing. So um, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, this, this, this conversation is really part of um, Black History Month and our, and our sort of focus on it and celebration of it. Obviously at Stratford, you know, we've got whole history in um, making black work um, and and continue that, you know, it's an all year round thing and passion and who we are really. But um, what what does Black History Month mean to you? It's an interesting question. I've had a try to have a long think about it, and I kept going backwards and forwards. Um, I suppose what it means. It's hard to say what it means for me because. I don't engage with it too much individually. Um, I have an idea of what it should be, which is I think it needs to stop being a celebration and more of an impetus for action. Um, and what I mean by that is it's great that we can have this month and then some companies will go out and they'll post photos of here are our favorite black artists or this is what we this black person is doing that we enjoy or here's some media for our black people whatever um that's all well and good but it doesn't do anything like you you it can is tokenistic it, yeah yeah it, there's an argue there's an argument for it to be it's good for exposure and xyz but it doesn't physically change too much what i would much prefer is for organizations businesses individuals to take the month to look at what they can do actively to help improve the community or what their work at the moment does to help the community how can they change their practices what are their policies and how do they affect these people use the month for reflection more so than using it for celebration and then hopefully we'll get to a point where you can do both at the same time mm. and then maybe we'll get to a point where you don't need to do either because they're just 
present and they exist and they're happening. Well, then actively. we can genuinely just do the celebration. Yeah. <laughs> for the sake of a celebration. But yeah, hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? But how it started as a vehicle um, for history hmm. and, and, you know, really opening our eyes to, um, you know, the past and the present and um, how black lives and history has been there from time immemorial. You know, it's not just something um, that, you know, because especially at school, I, I, I absolutely remember, even though I was brought up in a very diverse area and a very diverse school, mm. that we never learned about um, black artists or black uh, uh, people of note in history or medicine or mm. any of that, you know? Um, so if this in some way, like, puts a focus on that, I, I absolutely hear you. It shouldn't just be tokenistic. Um, so I just, I'd like to talk a bit about who or what uh, inspires you or influences you. Mm. Do you have a mentor? Uh, yeah, so um, when I first started working at the Royal Court, one of the first projects that I was working on was the... Um, Windrush Seven Monologues for Seven Decades projects, and that was led by Black Ape Entertainment, and that's um, Lynette Linton's company. So I met her there, and it kind of, yeah. So she's my mentor, and she's absolutely phenomenal. I think her work and who she is as a person is, yeah, she's just amazingly supportive of me, and I, yeah, I can't thank her enough really. But then also what she's doing with the Bush is phenomenal, and what she stands for is great. Um, so big up Lynette every time. But then also her team. You know, uh, Black she's Open. a Stratford girl. Yeah, yeah. Her team, Black Open Entertainment as well. Um, so that's Daniel Bailey and Gina Ricardo Green. They're both great at what they do. Um, Gina works on the projection for Small Island. Um, so if you manage to see that over lockdown on the NT Lives, like that is. It whoo, was so beautiful. Marvelous. Everything about that production was so like dreamy i mean mm. i just love my friend katrina Lindsay was the designer and mm. gershwin who was one of the main characters i've worked with before and i think he's such an incredible incredible um actor and i just loved everything about it i think it's going to come back to the national mm. i'm not sure but um <laughs> it's such a beautiful beautiful on every level uh production wasn't it and mm. um, 100%. So and, and are there any, I mean, that's mentors and real life people. Are there mm -hmm. any other influences that you have, um, you know, uh, besides, you know, mentor, mentors and anybody that you admire or work that really inspires you? I think um, I don't tend to draw on too many, like, when I'm making work anyway for myself. Um, I don't tend to draw on too many other people. I find there's a lot of people I've worked with that I'm quite influenced by. I think what they do and what they stand for is really impressive. And I aspire to be like them in the aspects of what they do. Um, so some of those people are Marsha Kevinovna. Um, she's an amazing director and producer. She runs her own company called Opia Collective. I think she's the assistant director for the NYT rep company for this year as well. Um, two of my good friends as well Aruna Jalo and Kai Shaw um, who are both performers but I think their work ethic and what they think theatre should be is something that I 
really aspire to try and do like I wish I could work as hard as them um, because their passion is amazing and how they conduct themselves is uh, yeah I think it's just it's a template really um, I think the more I can learn from them the better and I'm just lucky enough that to be friends with them really um, and then I suppose in more of an artistic sense when I'm making theatre I tend to draw a lot of inspiration from music um, so some of my favorite musicians Muramasa um, there's an artist named Gurley who I'm good friends with um, she makes really good like I don't know what, what genre you'd call it I suppose feminist pop punk I love that though I love that people are sort of genre bending at the moment like mm. and things are fusing you know like maybe when I was um, growing up or younger um you know you were either a director or you were an actor or you were a recording artist or a singer and now what i'm so inspired by younger people because it's like they don't need to worry about what lane they're in all of the lanes are for everybody so it's like um and that's where some really interesting work is coming out because people aren't having to self-box in that way you know and i think that's really really exciting um mm. i think um a great example of that is there's a musician named moses sumney who i think is quite big now but he would kind of put himself into a jazz box but it's just so all over the place that it's just brilliant like you could draw so much from it you could put it in any other genre to be honest and it would kind of make sense as an argument for it yeah i think that's where real like originality comes from anyway when you're not like trying to keep to your lane basically and you're just like doing your own thing um i just wanted to ask you some quick fire questions now okay um that's okay um and so without too much thinking a film or play especially i mean it might just be a lockdown thing you know something that because mm. we've all seen a lot of stuff and been stuck indoors so a mm. film or play you'd recommend I'm going to do two plays. I Want to Be Yours by Zia Ahmed, which I mentioned earlier. Great play. And then Blackter by Nathaniel Marcello White. No way. Um, He's my, my new neighbour. I'll tell him that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh. Very, very briefly. And he's one of my, it's one of my favourites. It's the first play that I think uh, Brit School took us to see. And that was when I was like, theatre is for me um, at the Young Vic. It was great. I loved it. Amazing. I am going to tell him that. It will make his day. Um, a book you'd recommend? Oh, I don't really read books, if I'm being honest. Um, I've got a bunch of plays down here, but I couldn't tell you what the last fiction book was Typical I read. director. All we do is read plays. That's all we do. Which <laughs> and our eyeballs are too tired after that. An <laughs> album you'd recommend? Ooh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do two. I'm cheating these. Uh, Muramasa's self-titled album, and Heady One has just dropped Edna, which I think is a great project. So check that out as well. I'm very excited because these are all new to me. So I'm just gonna like have something new to download. Um, and during these weird times of the plague, what have you been listening to, watching, reading? What have you been binging on? Um, Oh, what have we been binging on? Um, my house, me and my housemates have just finished watching Criminal on Netflix. Wow. Um, there's two seasons in the UK, and I think it is 
a masterclass in every capacity possible when it comes to filmmaking because it's like set in pretty much two rooms in a hallway and like oh the storytelling is phenomenal okay i'm gonna get on that like i need any other excuses to sit in front of the television and what (laughs) advice and words of wisdom would you give to anyone starting out or looking for opportunities in the arts at the moment because it isn't you know like Mm. it's such a weird time for everyone um so maybe you want to answer this question in general and then maybe or maybe specifically to this particular time which seems so challenging for all Mm. all people in the arts i'd say i feel like i've got different tiers to go in with this so my first tier is I think everything that I've done, all the work I've done, I've managed to get there because a large part is I can say that I do a lot of stuff myself. With new theatre, I do all of it myself. So I think start and just try. And if you've been it off in a year, then that's fine. It is what it is. But I think just try and make something yourself. It's a very good place to start from. And then when you've completed it, you know, you learn and you move forward from that. Um, don't expect anything to be amazing when you start off like I said it took new theatre three years to even figure out what it was um, and we made some awful stuff <laughs> um, so that's one I think yeah just whatever whatever field you're working in in theatre just try making stuff yourself um, with people without people whatever I think if you're looking for something that's less performance focused um, how would I put this in one sentence? Like make the system work for you. There are participation schemes out there, especially if you're 25 and under that are there to be used. Pretty much all of them are free and they give you that in. Like, so there are so many young companies, you're a performer, you've got... I mean, we've got several that are at Stratford Mm. East, you know, and um, they are sometimes oversubscribed, but people should, if, if you've got a passion, you've got to knock that door down. You know, you just, mm. most theatres have that department, don't they, for learning and participation. And, mm. and you know, it's your right to go and get some of that um, theatre or whatever it is. Mm. But then I think there's also different things out there. It's very easy to find stuff, I think, if you're a young performer, but when you're looking some more behind the scenes roles, yeah. Um, the Battersea Arts Centre have a young producers course that you should definitely check out. So do the Almeida. Um, the Almeida also have a theatre critics um, thing. I think they're still running. So have a look at that. The Royal Court's Young Agitators, I would say, cover everything that involves theatre that's not performing. So they t- they'll teach you about stage management, workshop facilitation, uh, designing, like everything that makes theatre happen that's where you'll get that experience you get a mentor that's in the building like you'll be integrated into the building so that's a great course to be on if you want to do anything in theater that's not performance based um if Romana and Vishnia listen to this hello nice to see you again uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say yeah I think that's brilliant I think that's really practical as well because you didn't just say look into your heart and you can do it you actually <laughs> properly name check all the like different courses and things throughout mm-hmm. London and in, in different theatres. I think that's that's really, really useful. And this might be a slightly more spiritual, different answer, but if you, if I could give you the superpower of traveling back in time and meeting yourself when you were younger and whispering in that young person's ear, 
what, what advice would you give to your younger self? I know this is a bit of a cliche question, but like knowing what you know now, <laughs> and it might not be like, you know, like a mathematical answer, but what, what would you mm. imbue them with in their, in their ear? Well, I'm laughing because me, at three years ago, I was very annoying, so I would probably get in a fight with myself. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose Ben, when he first knew that he wanted to work in theatre, I think it's more just take risks. Like, I think when I started out, I was very concerned about what people would like. Um, and what I've actually realised is the more I focus on what I like and what I think is good, that is what's actually good work and that is what's well received in every aspect, not just performance. That's when it comes to emails. It's when it comes to like, even it comes down to little things. I've been told in the past that I shouldn't email informally because I normally start my email with, hey, and using excessive amount of exclamation marks, but I'd rather be friendly than be quote unquote professional. Um, be yourself. Like, I think a lot of people say that, but yeah, yeah. it's be those things. It's be, be confident in your own decisions and be yourself. And I, don't I, worry about pleasing others. That's such good advice to your younger self. That is such good advice because taking risk is something that's really important to make brilliant work, in my opinion. And and I know that sometimes, even now, I, I don't want to take risks because you're afraid of failing. You're mm, afraid of being a fool of yourself. You're afraid what people will think. And the more that goes away and you think, sod it, just go with your gut, is... is the better things are and I think mm. um and you can stand by something that you believe in and I, and I think that's right like write that email with passion mm. but it doesn't have to be in a language you don't speak it doesn't mm. mean it's not professional just because it's written with passion in your own voice mm. it's not professional if it's not had time and consideration spent on it and and it's not professional if it's late or rude but you know, I just love that. I love that idea of taking risks. Um, I think a great example of that is when I applied for my job at the Royal Court. So I was participation assistant there, which is, well, it's, tra it's trainee assistant. It's an entry level role. When I applied, they wrote, they have the normal question of, why do you want to have, why do you want to have this role? Why do you want to work here? And rather than saying, oh, I think this would be great for my future. This is what I did. What I did is I wrote down everything that had, everywhere I'd been and someone that supported me in my life. Uh, whether that be Brit, whether that be our major, whether that be the people that I worked with in the theatre and all those people just listed them and what they offered and said, this is what I want to give to other people and more. If you write genuinely and passionately, you're going to get a lot further than just trying to think about what the other person wants and trying to please them. Absolutely. You can't second guess that anyway, unless mm. you can, unless I gave you the superpower to read minds. Well, Ben, that was a brilliant, inspirational conversation. Lots of like nuggets of golden advice. And um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk about your journey and to talk about your passion and 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 give that advice it's so Thanks good for to giving me the chance to likewise Wicked. i'm glad to be on here a big thank you to ben for having a chat with us and we'll be releasing more freelancer interviews over the coming weeks 
Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Stratfordies podcast. And if you want to get in touch, then email us on podcast at stratfordies.com. Thanks for listening.